three and a half years ago, Chad Winthrop was living an outdoorsman's dream in Alaska, exploring the backcountry and doing all different sorts of activities. Then in one moment, everything changed. My spinal cord injury was in a paragliding accident in Alaska in one of the most beautiful places on earth. Winthrop's injury left him with limited use of his legs. He now uses a wheelchair, and he ended up moving to the Denver area for rehabilitation at Craig Hospital. It's one of the top places in the world for spinal cord injuries. He was 44 years old. And uh, it really gave me a new lens on disability. He said at the beginning he just didn't know all he didn't know. And he had to learn to navigate life in a whole new way starting with the apartment he rented in Englewood to be near the hospital. Well, the elevator turned out to be a chronic problem, and it would be broken for days or weeks on end, and they would offer all sorts of, you know, oh, we'll carry you up, and then said, you have to let me out of the lease. I recently met Winthrop at the state capitol. He was there for a big event to kick off Disability Rights Awareness Month. Thank you, everyone, for showing up. It is so awesome to see so many disabled brothers and sisters in our house. At this event, lawmakers unveiled a slate of proposals aimed at improving accessibility and putting more teeth into existing laws. It's the most ambitious effort on these issues at the legislature in recent memory. So how many of you care about having affordable and accessible housing? How how many of you here think people with disabilities should be able to get out of poverty and keep our benefits? How many of you think we deserve affordable and accessible transportation? According to the Centers for Disease Control, up to one in four adults in the United States have some type of disability. Despite that statistic, many people living with disabilities say it can be a very lonely experience. But this year at the State House, advocates say they have more allies than ever before and more ambition. This is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and policy. And for this season, the 2023 legislative session. I'm Benta Berkland. And I'm Megan Verlee. This year at the Capitol, lawmakers will consider a major package of disability rights bills, dealing with everything from access to housing and government buildings to the accessibility of trailheads and ski lifts and the enforcement of existing disability rights laws. Supporters say they want to see Colorado lead the way on some of these issues, going above and beyond the Americans with Disabilities Act. But these are complicated proposals with the potential to have big impacts on the housing industry and local governments in particular. So in this episode, we're going to look at what lawmakers might do and meet their colleague who has single-handedly made this issue unignorable. So, Benda, let's go back to that press conference you attended. I want to hear more about Chad Winthrop. How did he end up there at the Capitol? So what he told me was that this wasn't a topic that was really on his radar much before his own accident. He had a little bit of a background working on national policy for the American Dental Association. He's a dentist, was a dentist. 
But Chad said that being in a wheelchair has made it clear to him how much is left to do to ensure that people living with disabilities get to fully participate in society. I think what people don't understand is how isolating it could be to be in a wheelchair. Um, even, even the accommodations that do exist, which were you know, on the one hand, I'm, I want to sit here and say we're grateful for, but as we shift our perspective, we want to be l- grateful, but at the same time, not feel like, oh, wow, I really just didn't expect this. We want to come to expect it. He said there that there are limitations to the accommodations that exist. Did he tell you more about that, like what that looks like for his daily life? Well, you heard him talk about what it's meant for his housing and trying to find an apartment. So just to say a little bit more about that, he told me about what a big issue it ended up being when he found an apartment near the hospital. And the elevator just did not work so frequently. And when he told the management company, their initial solution is, we'll have to have someone carry you down the stairs. That really doesn't seem okay. Yeah, so things like that that aren't workable. And he eventually got out of the lease just because he didn't have an ability to move in and out of that apartment unit. He said it's also something he encounters just in a lot of places, even in situations that meet the current ADA legal standards. When I go into a bathroom stall in the airport, there might be five stalls with doors, only one of them large enough for a wheelchair. And that's the luxury suite. Everyone wants to go in that one. You've got your luggage, everything. Make every single stall that size. I can't tell you how many times I've gone into a bathroom. and. My spinal cord injury, you know, the paralysis is obvious, but what's not obvious are the bowel and bladder issues and bladder spasticity. And when I've got to go, I've got to go. And I get into that bathroom and every stall is empty except the one that I, the only one that's accessible to me is the first one that everyone wants to use. Oh, that's really interesting. I try to stay out of those stalls, but I have to admit I hadn't thought about the urgency factor there. What other issues did you hear about at the Capitol event? Several people talked about access to the outdoors and recreation. So another person I met there was Amanda Phalo. She was injured in a car accident when she was 16. She uses a wheelchair, and she said before that accident, every sport was her jam. She said she was just very athletic And recently, she got an adaptive bike that she said she can use on trails near her apartment. I'm having these moments when I'm just like high on life and I'm out there and like I can feel the wind in my hair. I can feel like, oh, this is thank you. Those moments of yes, this is what I I was missing. Thank you, Lord. But then to come up to the end of a trail where it's got one of those like maze entrances or something. And it's like, okay. I don't think I've ever heard that term, a a maze entrance. It it sounds like something she can't get through. Yeah, that's right. I I think it's those types of entrances where you kind of have to go back and forth between these railings or like a fence. It's supposed to keep out livestock and then ATVs and vehicles somehow getting on these trails that aren't supposed to be there. Amanda said when she comes to an entrance like that, it's too narrow for her bike. She can't go any further. It's soul crushing. I, I just like... To, to drop from being up here to just like being invisible and not existing and having to depend on others in a way that's that's not not me. And she said she's frankly just tired of having to continually ask for basic access to things that everybody else just takes for granted. It's so interesting. She talks about that in the area of outdoor recreation. It's such a big part of life in this state. 
but maybe also something where people who don't have mobility limitations aren't even very aware that outdoor sports could be made accessible. That's right. And it's not just about the design of trails. It's also whether people have access to the equipment they need. I heard from a woman named Blaine Mathis, and she's from Durango. She lost her leg below the knee after a rock climbing injury. She said she's still very, very active outdoors, but her gear has to include a whole bunch of different specialized prosthetics. I rock climb, I climb ice, I gravel ride, I um, mountain bike, I do it all. There's not a single prosthetic design that fits it all. Each activity requires a unique socket design, suspension system, and the style of foot that's required is also different. My insurance wouldn't cover these costs. Items were donated and I used old parts and pieces to build activity-specific prosthetic devices. Without the appropriate prosthesis, my limb can be left with blisters and skin breakdown. And Blaine's actually become a prosthetic specialist in the Four Corners region. She works primarily with young amputees and three of them were at the Capitol with her for this advocacy day. And they were all there to talk about access to these prosthetic devices and how it really shapes, especially young people's ability to do so many activities. That's a really broad range of issues you heard about at the event. I mean, you know, if you're going from DIA bathrooms to housing to trails. But everybody was there at the Capitol for an advocacy day. So what had they come to advocate for? What what do they want lawmakers to do? They do want lawmakers to do a lot, specifically around access and making sure people with disabilities can access more of the world. Now, some of these bills haven't been introduced yet, but behind the scenes, people are working on this huge slate of bills that would have big ramifications if it passes. No, I know when you say haven't been introduced yet, behind the scenes, that means the details could still change. So it's always a little tricky to talk about stuff. But what do you know at this point? Sure. So the first thing is when it comes to access, they're really looking at three areas, housing, recreation and government. Those are some pretty big topics. So let's start with housing. So the big thing in the works would require new apartment buildings and condos to make 12% of the units accessible for people with disabilities. I'm trying to think through what that would mean. I'm I'm guessing wider doors, flat entrance showers, um, Mm -hmm. grab bars, other stuff? Yes, well, that's part of it. But if you're talking about making an apartment accessible for someone who uses a wheelchair, then there's additional things like kitchen design making sure cabinets and counters are at the right level. All of these units, this 12%, I think that's going to be kind of the negotiation. What percentage are specifically for wheelchair users versus accessible, but a little bit more broadly accessible. Backers say the priority here is to have more accessible housing available in the market. So there's not much renovation or just limitations on where people can live. Many of us have had that experience in trying to move into a new apartment, condo, townhome, or even back into our own homes um, and realized how inaccessible the world was. That's Democratic Representative David Ortiz from Littleton. He'll be the main sponsor on a lot of these bills. He said us there. That's because he uses a wheelchair. Yes. In fact, he's Colorado's first lawmaker to use a wheelchair. Ortiz is a U.S. Army veteran and former aviator. 
and he survived a catastrophic helicopter crash while serving in Afghanistan. He mentioned coming back home and discovering how inaccessible things can be. It sounds like that was his experience, but also that he's really trying to to address this for anyone in his situation. Exactly. And what he and others working on this say is that there has to be enough accessible units available. So when people who are using wheelchairs are looking for a place to live, they can actually find units that are available. Chad Winthrop, who we heard from earlier, said he's run into that issue. What I found is that while a limited number of units per building were allocated to that, they were occupied. And as I came to learn, often not by anyone that's disabled, the the building doesn't seem to be required to hold those apartments vacant and and incur that carrying cost um, in case somebody like me comes around. I would guess with this policy, the idea is more accessible units, more likelihood that when somebody who uses a wheelchair is out trying to find an apartment, they get a shot at one. But this is a big change for builders and apartment building owners. It definitely would be if something like this passes, because right now the number of accessible units it's required is well below 12 percent. Mm. So I really did want to know, what does the industry think of this idea? So I went to someone at the Capitol who was very willing to talk about this, even though it's still in progress. I'm Drew Hamrick. I'm general counsel for the Colorado Apartment Association. That's a trade organization for education and advocacy for uh, the owners and managers of existing rental housing in the state. We uh, estimate we represent about 75% of the landlords in the state. Hamrick said his members do have some concerns about the proposal, but it wasn't actually the concerns I thought it might be. He is working on the bill with Representative Ortiz. There are a lot of parts of it they're fine with. For instance, a provision that would require accessibility in communal spaces within apartment complexes. So lobbies, mail rooms, fitness centers. Yes, things like making sure there aren't stairs in those areas, making sure there's braille on the elevator buttons, the mailboxes are reachable from a seated position. But when it comes to the actual units, things are a little bit trickier. Yeah, I can imagine. So the industry said units that are modified to be accessible for wheelchair use, these are known as type A units. And Hamrick said most people assume builders don't want to put those in because they're more expensive to build. And he said that's actually not the concern. The problem with them is once you build them, nobody wants them. (laughs) And other than if you happen to be in a wheelchair. So you end up with a large inventory of units that are undesirable, have to be discounted, and people living in units they don't want to live in. Don't want to live in them because the modifications don't work if you're not in a wheelchair? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to picture this. Yeah, exactly. So let's say a wheelchair-adapted kitchen. That's going to have countertops that work from a seated position. There wouldn't be cabinets under the counters, under the sink. Okay. So that's not ideal for someone who's standing up to cook. And, and there's other things, too, in those units, but that's one obvious area. Okay. Um, and one thing he pointed out is that while the bill sponsors want to create a lot more apartments that work for wheelchair users, that's only an estimated less than 2% of the population. His big concern is he wants to make sure there's not an oversupply, and also what may work for someone in a wheelchair may be the exact opposite of what someone with a different type of disability needs. 
That really feels like kind of an unsolvable tension. You've got wheelchair users who really understandably want to make sure there's enough supply so they have a chance to get one of these units. You've got apartment owners who only want the bare minimum so that they don't have units that they can't rent at full price. You said that there are negotiations going on, but it seems really hard that both sides could walk away happy from this. We'll see. I think it's different than some of the issues where people are diametrically opposed on the the need or even the idea. So from talking to the apartment association, I think the concept of this is not something they're opposed to. So it's trying to find that right balance. Okay. And, And you did mention kind of a balance area, which is that the bill isn't just about wheelchair accessible apartments. Some portion of this 12% would be apartments that are more accessible, but maybe not fully modified in the way that somebody would need for a wheelchair. Yeah. And this is all changing. So the exact percentages, I'm not, you know, it's been in flux, but those are called type B. So these are units that aren't designed to have all the wheelchair modifications, but are still more accessible than a typical unit. So maybe wider doors or handles instead of knobs on doors grab bars in the bathroom, things like that. Those units, Hamrick said, have a much easier time getting rented. So it's easier for apartments to build those. Yeah, I think one thing about those modifications is that they also suit older homeowners as people become less mobile. And my my parents, you know, have been installing things like this slowly over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, So possibly a wider tenant base there also. Sponsors have talked about that as we have an aging population and people may be downsizing from their residences and want to live in something smaller, making sure it works for people with a wide range of issues, but maybe aren't in a wheelchair. Okay, so this negotiation over how many units to require and what type of each type would be required, it sounds like something to watch. Outdoor recreation, you said, is another thing that they want to introduce some bills on this year. Mm -hmm. And I'm really curious about this. After hearing from those women at the press conference, they've raised some really interesting issues. How do advocates want to change the law around that? The first thing is to create a task force to create standards. The goal here is to really look at best practices that are out there and have Colorado be much more proactive about setting a standard on campgrounds, trails, ski areas, ski lifts, and use of adaptive equipment so people can access that depending upon whatever activity they're doing. This does sound like something where there does need to be a lot more awareness. So when Amanda, that cyclist you talk to, maybe in the future she gets to one of those trailheads and they'll have already thought about making sure that she can get onto the path. Yeah. And to go back to some of the people I met at the state capitol, there was the woman Blaine. She's a prosthetic specialist. She's in Durango. And she was just really excited for a bill that would expand insurance coverage for prosthetics. The goal here is to have young people get more access to these devices for specific sports. She was really vivid in how she's had to make her own prosthetics, so it sounds like this would open up possibilities for younger people? Yeah, this bill's actually been introduced, and it would require a health insurer to cover not just the basic everyday prosthetic you'd be using, but one additional for an adapted sport. This would apply to kids and young adults up to 26 years old. So like a kid who needs a prosthetic to walk, wants to run track, this would require their insurer to also supply that running adapted prosthesis? Yes. As long as their primary doctor says it's necessary for them to do this sport and to stay active. I know Governor Polis 
I hate to sort of bring this idea down, but he has taken a pretty hard line in the last few years on bills that put new mandates on health insurers. We've seen him veto some of them that had very sympathetic constituencies. So I do wonder what happens if this gets to his desk. I think with this, you know, I I looked up who's lobbying for this bill and I didn't find any opponents registered against this bill. So I feel like there's not a huge number of people that fit into this category in the state. It may not be a driver of insurance costs. There's groups monitoring it and then other groups supporting it. We'll see. But usually with things that are going to be contentious, you will see a lot of people opposing the bill throughout the process. Hmm. And I would say that it's a bipartisan bill. And I think it has universal appeal because we were talking about people with various disabilities. It, it can be isolating so many variety of disabilities and especially with young people. The goal of making sure children and youth and young adults can really participate with their peers and a lot more activities and making that easier, I think, is something that will have broad appeal at the state house. I think you've got a good point there. It does seem like a noble goal. Finally, you mentioned that the advocates who are pushing this legislation, they've been trying to open up access to housing, to outdoors. They also want to look at access to government for people with physical disabilities in particular. Obviously, this is something that Representative Ortiz has had some very direct experience with as the first lawmaker in a wheelchair, like you said. You've done a couple of stories already about the modifications they've had to make at the Capitol just to let him do his job. That's right. The state had to put in ramps around the House chamber so he could access the chamber floor and his desk. And then more recently, they put a lift for the speaker's podium. So lawmakers in the majority party and he is in the majority preside at times over the chamber, but it's from that speaker's podium. So there's an internal lift so he can get up to that podium. He's been in the legislature a little more than two years. This is his second term. And there are a lot of places on the floor and the state Senate he can't get to. Wow, that is so fundamental. If you think about lawmakers coming into the Capitol and after term limits, wanting to go from one chamber to the other or wanting to rise in leadership, and the building physically doesn't let him do that at this point. Yeah, so he can get to his desk, but there are certain jobs in the legislature. Even working on bills, lawmakers walk throughout the chamber and they move around the perimeter of the chamber and he doesn't have that ability. That's something that he's still working on is trying to make the entire Capitol building accessible. But he said he also wants local governments to do more to ensure that people with mobility issues can fully participate. If it's a place uh, where the public is to be heard, whether we're talking about city, state, county, school boards, then those places need to be accessible at that period. And not just for people coming in, but for elected leaders. It's sort of surprising to me that this is something the state needs to do more on because I do realize this is probably kind of naive, but I would have thought the Americans with Disabilities Act should have covered this. I mean, these are public buildings. It's a federal law and it's like decades old. Well, as Ortiz's experience makes clear, there's modifications, but that doesn't mean the building's fully accessible. We've been in a lot of official chambers, but even if you're just walking through or going into that building for something in your local community, you can see that where your city council meets, where a judge is, where county commissioners sit, a lot of times I think it's up on this platform. You, know, you have to take these steps. Yeah, that's, a little dais. Yeah. Right, right. So that's the tradition in public buildings. That's something that Denver City Council member Chris Hines has had to deal with for a while. I am the first elected official in Denver's history, local, state, or federal, who uses a wheelchair to get around. When I was inaugurated in 2019, 
That was 29 years after ADA was passed. Uh, city council chambers were not wheelchair accessible. The restrooms uh, were not wheelchair accessible. And sure, yes, it was law, but it took someone getting elected to actually affect that change. So what Ortiz wants to do, and Hines is excited about this, is give cities and counties and other government entities, I think it's six years, and that number could change, to look at all their facilities and figure out what's not accessible and fix it. That does seem like sort of a basic thing if you want to make serving in government more accessible to everyone. I guess I'll be the Grinch and say it would also probably come at a taxpayer cost, maybe kind of a high taxpayer cost in some buildings. That could be true. I reached out to some local governments and they're still working through this. And I know that as this moves through, we will hear from a lot of school boards and county commissioners and we'll get a lot of different perspectives on how feasible it is, what they think the costs are, what the challenges would be. And if it's a historic building, are there restrictions on kind of what modifications they can make? But for advocates for this, they say it is just basic fairness. And another thing they see as basic fairness is making the meetings as accessible as possible. Like, how so? This may be for people who may not be able to get to these meetings in person. So yes, in this context, we're talking about people with disabilities, but there's a lot of people who can't get to a meeting in person. So the idea is to live stream meetings and hearings. And a lot of us got used to operating that way during the pandemic. And Ortiz wants to make it a requirement that governments have a remote option. And this is not just the right thing to do for people with disabilities, but folks, it's the right thing to do for working families. Every person, regardless of who they are, deserves to participate in our government and have their voice heard. I feel like my role has been a little bit to be the devil's advocate in this show, but uh, I, I can't really be on the other side of this because remote hearings and meetings and remote participation, it just makes so much sense. And it is so good for transparency. That said, I'm sure there will be groups that will have reasons why this isn't the right direction to go in. Right. And I think we'll hear pushback from some local governments and school boards. But I'm with you on this. It was done during the pandemic. And I've just seen how covering the legislature over the years, back in the day, there wasn't remote access and then it was very limited. I think it just opens up the process to so many people who maybe don't have the capacity to sit at the Capitol for really big hearings. You could be waiting four, five, six, seven hours before it's your turn to testify. You can certainly accommodate a lot more people weighing in and sharing their perspectives. And I think that's true for local government as well. I want to get back here as we sort of wrap things up to Ortiz. We've heard his voice through this episode. We haven't talked a ton about him. Clearly, he is central to this legislative agenda. And when you talk to people working in this space, how big a deal is it to have someone with his life experience there serving at the Capitol able to work on this? It's a big deal. I asked Chad Winthrop about that specifically, and he described it as paramount. And as Rep Ortiz frequently says, uh, there are so many things that he just didn't see um, from a wheelchair's point of view until he was in one. And uh, our lawmakers aren't in them, so they're not seeing them either. And Winthrop said personally it's just very inspiring because it makes you think, wow, maybe you can do that too or something that you don't think you're able to do. 
And disability rights activists said it's one of their longer-term goals. They want to make sure more people with all sorts of different disabilities are in positions of power to help make laws, to craft decisions for Colorado. I talked to Julie Riskin, and she is one of the heads of the Colorado Cross Disabilities Coalition. She's worked on policies for years. She said she spent her life, quote, begging people to get more involved in policymaking. And she says as critical as Ortiz is, it's not just about one person. It's integrating us into government at state state and local level and in all branches of government so that people get to know us on a different level and then we're not so much the other. We're not so scary. We're not so different. And Julie said you can see the difference of just having Ortiz at the Capitol. It just has a huge impact on other lawmakers and how they approach these issues and how the discussions evolve when Ortiz is the person bringing it up to them. It's very different when it's one of them. They can't ignore it. And I'm not saying that people always ignored us because they didn't, but you, you have to deal with it in a whole different way when you're, and again, it, that's part of what integration looks like, right? Is that you have colleagues that, so that you have something in common and that makes us less of an other. So Ortiz is on his second term now. Uh, one thing that strikes me is I don't remember him running a lot of bills on disability rights in the past. And there was one, I think, last year on the right to repair powered wheelchairs that we covered. But the focus that you're talking about, the scope and the ambition for this year, that's kind of a change. It is. He's definitely been involved with issues, but he said during his first term, he intentionally didn't want to be the main sponsor on every disability rights bill. And he said that's because he didn't want to be known only for that and be pigeonholed. Certainly, he's raised awareness on the issue just by virtue of being in the building. But he's passed a lot of bills on different issues during his first term. And he said he just felt since Democrats have expanded their majority and he felt felt comfortable that he's worked on so many different types of legislation that he really wanted to step into this role. Saying, you know, if it's not me, who will it be? And he saw this is the year to really push things forward. An element of covering the legislature every year is getting to watch lawmakers evolve. I think we've heard that from lawmakers who are a lot of different firsts, that maybe the first thing they do isn't to represent their group or to push for their own group, but to say, hey, look at me as a whole person, and now let me bring up the issues that relate to this way in which I'm a trailblazer. I guess one thing we'll be watching for for the rest of this session is to see whether his colleagues are there to back him up on these bills and this ambition or if they're going to push to scale him back. It's very ambitious and we haven't even gone over all the bills. (laughs) Really? We couldn't in this episode. Yeah, there's just so many details. What's the biggest thing we left out? Making it so the current ADA laws and disability discrimination laws can be enforced. There's negotiations on that, legal recourse there when places aren't compliant. So that's one issue we'll be following, and there's still others. That sounds very complicated, and yes, like it could be a tricky one to work through. And Ortiz is the first to say, look, he doesn't want to be the only one at the Capitol to really know this issue from the perspective of using a wheelchair. And during this event at the Capitol, he told the audience, hey, it's kind of a lonely position to be this only one at the Capitol. Come join me. And there was a woman in the audience afterwards. He was taking questions and she was sitting in the back and she raised her hand and said, hey, how can I run for office? So he said, come see me afterward. Maybe he'll have another ally there before too long. (laughs) Maybe we'll be covering her eventually, too. That's it for this episode. 
Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Benta Berkland with my colleague Megan Verlee. This episode was produced by Shane Rumsey. We'll be back in your podcast feed soon, so if you're not already a subscriber, be sure to sign up and make sure you don't miss it. And if you're enjoying Purplish, please recommend us to your friends. This is Purplish from CPR News.